I think this passage this morning is so wonderful. We ought to pray before we read it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you gave your servant John the vision of what will be in the future, what is now and what is to come. Please help us to listen to your word and to rejoice in it as the angels did. Amen. Okay, I just want to begin to recap. So if you look on the reverse of your sheet, you'll find Revelation 4, and verse, <clears throat> verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And there he is in heaven. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power, forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. They fell down and worshipped. So should we. Well, thanks, Gillian. Um, firstly, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that no matter where we are in our walk with you, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that you will open our hearts and still our minds as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As Scott mentioned, Anzac Day is around the corner, and it's a day of remembrance and reflection, commemorating the anniversary of the landing 
of the Australian and New Zealand troops at Gallipoli in Turkey on the 25th of April, 1915. This was our first major military action as an independent nation. And the Anzacs were part of a larger Allied force that had been sent to Gallipoli with the aim of opening up a new front in the war against the Ottoman Empire. However, the campaign was a failure with heavy casualties on both sides. The campaign had cost the lives of over 8,000 Australian and New Zealand soldiers and it had left many more wounded and traumatised. Despite the failure of the Gallipoli campaign, the Anzacs became a source of natural, na national pride and identity for both Australia and New Zealand. And the Anzac spirit, which was characterised by courage, mateship and sacrifice, has become a symbol of the values that are important to both countries. Anzac Day was first observed in 1916 and has been observed annually ever since. It's a day where we remember the sacrifice and the courage of those who fought for our freedom and who laid down their lives for our country during both World War I specifically, but also for all veterans and enlisted persons who died during their duties in general. And as we reflect on their sacrifice, we're reminded of the high price of freedom, of the need to stand up for what is right, and of the importance of courage in the face of adversity. And I, I go through all of that because it's, it's important that we remember those things. And as significant as, as the sacrifice of the Anzacs, and they are indeed significant, there's a sacrifice that far surpasses it, a sacrifice that granted us freedom, not just in this life, but for eternity. It's a sacrifice that changed heaven forever. And it's a detail you may have missed as Gillian read out the passage this morning, that there was an event in history that changed heaven forever. It's also an event that's observed annually, and just a few weeks ago was remembered and celebrated globally by more than two and a half billion people. And I'm talking about Easter, the sacrifice of Jesus, the lamb who was slain for our sins. His death and resurrection are remembered on Good Friday and Easter Sunday because that opened the way for us to be reconciled to God, to have eternal life and to be free from the burden of sin. And we'll look more closely at that sacrifice shortly as we explore this passage this morning. And we'll look at themes such as worthiness, redemption, and victory. But first, before we go into chapter 5, we need to briefly look at the previous chapter. Because chapters 4 and 5 are part of one vision that set the scene. And although we didn't read it all out this morning, you'll find it there on the back of your insert. Chapter 4 begins with an invitation and an open door to heaven where God is going to reveal his future plans to and through his apostle John. John was one of Jesus' disciples and the author of the book that we're reading today. And he sees a special throne in heaven, which is the seat of power from which God himself rules, holding all things in his hands. John's primary audience were believers and followers who were living in the first century. And they faced persecution by their oppressors 
simply for being Christian. These believers rejected worship of the Roman emperor and so were subjected to discrimination, physical suffering, and in some cases, death. And God's message was one of assurance that he is on the throne, he is in control, and he is worthy of our praise and worship. And in chapter 4, he's going to pull back the curtain and show John that for all that is happening on earth, there is also activity in heaven. And as I read these verses, I want you to imagine in your mind's eye this scene that is taking place in heaven. I'll have some audio playing. Now, this isn't for mood, but the reason is going to make a lot of sense shortly. I'll be starting at chapter 4, verse 3. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. John can only describe God's reflected glory as light is reflected through a precious gem. Though this throne will be a place of judgment for the sinful world, we see a circular rainbow surrounding the throne, which is a reminder of God's promise to Noah of grace and mercy. And that promise is on display, emanating out of the throne for all of heaven to see. Verse 6 continues. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And verse 10 continues, they lay their crowns before the throne say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Do you get the sense of power and majesty of this scene being described by John? In our lives, we're concerned with the daily affairs of work, school, church, society, government. But God is on his throne at the center of all of this activity of endless worship. It 
It's a wave of worship that starts at the throne with the four living creatures singing, holy, holy, holy. And then with the 24 elders surrounding them, and this repeats over and over and over again, day and night, as God rules from his throne. And God's worthy to receive this worship because in verse 11, he created all things. God's act of creation demonstrates his power, his wisdom and goodness. Through his creative power, he brought the universe and all that is in it into being. And through his wisdom, he designed it in a way that is both beautiful and functional. He also created humanity in his image giving us the capacity to know and enjoy him and to reflect his character in the world. And some examples of creation that demonstrate God's worthiness include the intricate design of the human body, the beauty and diversity of the natural world, the complexity and the order of the universe, and the many gifts of food, water and resources that we have that sustain life on this earth. These examples remind us of God's power and goodness and inspire us to worship and honour him. Our world belongs to God and we belong to God because he is creator. And then that brings us now to our passage in chapter 5. And you get the sense that something different is happening. In chapter 4, heaven is constantly worshipping God day and night. But now, heaven's attention is drawn to the right hand of God that is holding a scroll. Chapter 5, verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And no one on heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found that was worthy to, look, to open the scroll or look inside. This scroll is most likely a rolled-up scroll of papyrus or parchment, and it represents the plans of God to bring ultimate justice to the earth. It's been sealed with clay or wax seals. This kind of scroll would have been a familiar sight to John and his readers, since it was the kind that was used for important documents at the time, such as Roman contracts and wills. And we're giving a piece of detail that it has writing on both sides. In antiquity, scrolls were seldom, seldom written on both sides, because one side was smooth for writing. When both sides are written on, it's an indication of a full and important message. And the very fact that it's written is significant. It's written to indicate there's no way to change it. God has written it. And there's no possibility that anyone can change it. It's written. It's finished. And whoever reads this scroll will be reading a completed testament from start to end. The number of the seals, seven, indicates it's been perfectly and divinely sealed. Only one who is worthy is able to take the scroll, unseal it, and carry out the plans that it represents. But not a single created being, material or immaterial, could be found to be worthy. 
And this causes John to weep at what seems to be an impossibility of justice finally being realised. He didn't know much about the scroll, but he knew that it must hold great blessing for God's people. And they would be deprived unless someone could open it. But John is encouraged. There is someone that can open the scroll. In verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the scroll of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And this is kind of like one of those expectation reality memes. We're expecting a lion, an image of strength and majesty. But instead, we're presented with an image of a lamb and a slaughtered one of that. And there's some clues here about who it is that is able to open the scroll. It's someone from the Israelite tribe of Judah. It's a descendant of the king of David, the root of David. And it's one that has shed blood to redeem his people. Like the slain lamb at Passover. Only Jesus matches this description. And when Jesus takes the scroll, something remarkable happens in heaven. Verse 8. And then he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Okay, did you all see what happened there? And if you didn't see it, surely you heard it. Heaven sang a new song. Day and night, they worshipped God who sat on his throne. But now, there is a new tune in heaven, and all of heaven is singing. As we see in verse 11, And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In chapter 4, God on the throne was worthy of worship because he's the creator of all things. Why is the lamb worthy of worship? Well, in verse 5, verse 9, verse 12, we see that the lamb has triumphed. And his triumph was, verse 12, in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And this is the reason for worship in heaven. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Not his teaching, not his wonderful life of compassion, not his miracles and wonders, not his power, but it's the shedding of his blood 
the sacrifice that he made to purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we see this articulated in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you by your ancestors, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is worthy because he did what no Davidic king could do before. He was perfectly obedient to God every second of his earthly life. And because of that perfect obedience, he alone was able to give his life as a ransom in order to redeem, which simply means reclaim, to rescue people from every nation, race, class and corner of the earth. The old song is one of creation, but the new song is one of redemption and victory. Jesus' death and resurrection is the event that changed heaven. And if you're here today as a Christian, you'll know that it's the most important event in human history. But if you're here today as someone not sure about Christianity, well, let me encourage you to explore this event further. And we have a short course that's called Explore. Imagine someone who's accumulated a large debt through poor financial decisions or unseen circumstances, such as medical bills. They're unable to pay off the debt themselves and are therefore burdened by it with no hope of ever being free from it. However, a generous benefactor who cares for them deeply steps in and pays the debt in full. The debt is no longer a burden to that person and they are free to live without the weight of that debt hanging over their head. All of us here, we are all burdened by the debt of sin that we've accumulated through our lives. The times we've hurt others with our words and actions, dishonest acts such as lying and cheating, arrogance and greed, anger, envy and jealousy. Sin isn't whether someone is a good or bad person, but rather it's failure to live to God's standards of righteousness. It's saying, I'm in charge of my life and I'm number one. And so this debt of sin accumulates and we are unable to pay it off for ourselves and we're doomed to live under its weight. However, Jesus paid that debt on behalf of all of humanity with his death on the cross. Through his sacrifice, he offered forgiveness for all sins and a way for people to be redeemed and to be made whole. The sacrifices made by Jesus are significant because they are the means for which he became worthy to open the scroll. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross paid the penalties for the sins of humanity and allowed us to be reconciled to God. His resurrection from the dead demonstrated his power over death and his victory over sin. And furthermore, this scene in Revelation 5 shows that the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just a historical event that's celebrated and remembered, but it's an ongoing reality that has eternal significance. The slain lamb is there depicted standing before the throne of God. And the angels in heaven worship him for his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. It's an ongoing thing. The new song of heaven is significant because it symbolizes 
the ultimate victory of Jesus over sin and death. It's a victory in this present world and in the world to come. It proclaims that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not in vain and that he has conquered all evil and redeemed humanity. He reclaimed humanity from the power of sin. And victory is the theme of verses 9 and 10. If we take a look more closely, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. In these verses we see that the cost of victory was that Jesus was slain, his blood as payment for each of us. The scope of victory is that persons from every tribe and language and people and nation have been purchased for God, having been set free from the burden of sin. And we see the outcome of victory. is that having been set free, we are now part of God's kingdom. And the reference there to priests means that this kingdom is a holy nation. And as I look around this room today, we can see that part of this is already being fulfilled. There are people here from numerous tribes and languages and nations who recognize the sacrifice made by Jesus and trust in him for the resulting freedom from the burden of sin. Kingdom has both present and future aspects. The present aspect refers to the spiritual reign of Jesus in the hearts of these believers here today, while the future aspect refers to a physical reign on the earth in the age to come. And verses 13 and 14 show that everyone will one day acknowledge God as creator and God as redeemer. Verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that was in it, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This worship by everyone is to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Both God as creator and God as redeemer. Everyone will acknowledge. Some will gladly confess because they've understood and they've trusted in the death of Jesus for themselves. But those who've rejected God will one day reluctantly acknowledge that he is indeed Lord. The sacrifice of Jesus, his death and resurrection are important because they offer the possibility of redemption, victory over death and freedom from sin. These are the foundations of the Christian faith. And so how do we respond to this passage? Well, with Anzac Day, we remember the sacrifice of those who fought and died for the freedom of this country. The sacrifice serves as a reminder of the importance of courage and love for others. But the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is the ultimate sacrifice that offers us eternal life and freedom from the power of sin and death. Just as the heavenly creatures and elders worship the Lamb and sing a new song of praise, so too can we worship Jesus and give him the honour and glory that he deserves. 
So let's adjust our vision to that of a powerful and majestic God ruling from the throne. Peel back that curtain and see what's happening in heaven. God's there in full control, and he's across all that is going on. We can confidently approach the throne in our prayers and trust in his plan and purposes for our lives and for our world. Let's make sure we see and recognize what Jesus has done for us. Through his death on the cross, he has secured victory so that we can be God's people. Jesus paid the price so that we can be in relationship with God. And not only can we be in relationship, we can be in the kingdom of God. We can be part of an indestructible kingdom that will see no more war or distress. And not only are we in that kingdom, but we are also made to be priests. We have direct access to God, to speak to him and to receive forgiveness. And not only are we made to be priests, but we will be there and we can reign with Jesus. We can have courage in this life because our inheritance of eternal life was assured the moment that Jesus was raised from the dead. Friends, I'd encourage you to appreciate what Jesus has done. Worship as the created beings of heaven and earth worship. Repeatedly praise him. Be in awe of him. And live lives that reflect that praise and worship. And then it should follow that we share the good news of Jesus. This time in history is an era for people to accept Jesus. It's an era of grace. Jesus has redeemed people from all nations and cultures and languages. Who can we invite to church or to our house for a meal to create the opportunities to share this good news of the victory of what Jesus has done? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we stand before your throne in heaven, we thank you for all that you have done to allow us to be close to you again. We pray that you will strengthen us in the areas we lack when it comes to sharing your truths. We pray for opportunities to share and for ears to be opened. We pray that people from tribes and nations and languages here in the hills come to know the victory that you secured through your sacrifice and love for us. Help us to apply your word to our lives this week and help us as a community of believers to encourage each other in our walk with you. Amen.